I had a dream recently that involved the Seattle Mariners in a landlocked version of Seattle. At this version of Seattle, there was a giant storm happening, and Luis Castillo was pitching for the Mariners. This was right after he got traded to them, and he was rumored to go to the Yankees, but it ended up not happening. Heartbreaking, I know. And while I was at this uh, at this baseball game, there was about to be an apocalyptic storm happening. I don't even know if it was a rainstorm. The sky looked like it was uh, something out of Stranger Things, you know, when the mind flare is coming from the clouds. And I end up leaving the baseball game with my parents. We leave, and as we're leaving, we're driving along the city, and you can see in the background... Um, to the left is the baseball stadium, and then off in the distance to the right are three nuclear smokestacks, and a bolt of lightning hits the, the center nuclear smokestack. And we were hauling ass to get out of there. Something bad was about to happen, and we weren't going to stick around. As we're driving... Uh, we see the, the sky, it's just going, and all hell is about to, to break loose. And eventually we get into this forest that's on fire. Uh, hell on earth kind of stuff. And I don't know if it had anything to do with those nuclear smokestacks and the lightning coming down, but we're driving through... And all we see is destruction. And at one point, smoke is completely surrounding our car. Uh, I was 13 in the dream. What weird detail I know, but I, I woke up and I was just like, I was 13 in that dream. There was, there was one hole that you could see through the smoke and it was the, the driver's side. Uh, my dad was driving. And I didn't feel I didn't feel scared at all during this dream. I uh, I felt safe with my dad behind the wheel in this dream. So we keep going, and eventually we uh, we get rescued by these government employees, and one of them is Doctor Anthony Fauci, and he um, he says that we have this bacteria in us, and we need. To rest, we have to uh, we have to rest until we get better. And they were like, "Anything you want, we can we can bring you." And there was a a, a cherry Dr Pepper there for me. Uh, and we we rest, and I guess somehow uh, with the Washington State connection, um, in this version of of my dream world, in this reality. Edward Cullen and the Twilight movies also had whatever this bacteria was that made him a vampire, according to my dream world. We were there. We rested. Eventually, we got better. Um, and we were still in the mid middle of the fire, resting. We go 
and we finally get out of the destruction. Everything is just black and sooty and, and just destroyed. And we get off on the, um, on this exit and it's normal. It's like a normal suburban town, whatever we stop. And there are all these trees and the trees are half dead, but it wasn't from the fire. It was from this bird that would come along and pick a seed out uh, and it would kill half the tree, but it would go over to where the fire happened to help replenish it. Eventually we leave there and we get to the, the coastline. And I'm alone at this point when I'm, when I'm finally at the coastline. It looks like such a happy place. It's, it was, it, it looks so surreal. It didn't, it was a normal beach, but it wasn't, you know, it's like in, in dreams, things are a little bit off to where they don't make sense. And I look out at the Pacific ocean and it was the most beautiful thing I ever saw. And I almost started crying in my dream. I saw these people uh, parasailing off in the distance. Uh, there's all these people just having fun. And they're all okay. Like they have no idea what just happened or what I went through. They're just living life. Like it, it, it's been 70 degrees and, and sunny there the whole time. And... I see how beautiful everything looks and I get on this boat dock to go out there further because I want to be as close to the water as possible. And I walk down to the end of the dock. There's this, uh, this guy right next to me and we're just looking out at it in silence. And all of a sudden the dock starts moving. It's attached to a boat. There's a boat behind us that's pushing it along and there are all these people and inner tubes coming our, our way. And it's the water gets super rough, even though it's still pretty out. And all these people go under the dock uh, for fun, like on these inner tubes. Like whenever the wave comes, they try and get under the dock. And I realize I don't want to go out to the ocean. I don't want to... Uh, I don't want to want to go out with all these other people because there, there's a bunch of other people on the dock. And I run up to the boat captain uh, and I, I ask her, hey, can I get off the boat? And she says, yes, but don't jump on the dock to get off. Um, that's attached to the land. But I did. And for some reason, I think this dream reminded me of Shawshank Redemption when Andy and Red are talking about Zawatanehu, which is uh, the place that Andy says he wants to go if he ever gets out of Shawshank. And Red kind of laughs it off, um, and they go on to talk about hope and all that shit. What do I hope for? I hope when we die, it's either A, whatever my dream world is, that's the afterlife, or B, 
everything just turns into Star Wars. And if it's Star Wars, I don't want to be Jedi or Sith. I would want to probably be like a smuggler or some kind of outlaw where I'm just flying my ship around the the galaxy and swashbuckling like Han Solo. Claire, thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. I'm happy to be here, of course. Uh, so before we get started, you were just talking about uh, how you worked at Disney World. Yes, this is correct. This is correct. Um, I did my Disney College program last year. I was there for seven months. I was the first like returning class after they shut everything down for the, uh, you know, coronavirus and everything yeah. they brought back the disney college program i was on the first return date so they had built this whole new apartment complex you know flamingo crossings is what it's called so i was like i was one of the first people that got to live there brand spanking new it was insane and then you know i got to work there on the 50th i was an actual cast member on the 50th anniversary which is a huge deal so i got to celebrate and do all of that i worked a lot of holidays um, I was, I was trained in merchandise, but I switched to lifeguard after I finished my training because I wasn't really happy where I was, my location was in Disney Springs. I wanted to be more in a park setting and, uh, yeah, I just tried out, like I did the little swim test for lifeguard and got it. So I was a deep water lifeguard at Blizzard Beach. And then when they opened Typhoon Lagoon, which is, those are the water parks for the people that don't know. When they opened uh, Typhoon Lagoon, I got to also be a deep water guard there. It was very crazy. Very I, have crazy. A, I have a million questions. Okay. What is it like to work for Disney? Are they just ready to cut your throat at any moment? Um, I personally really enjoy the high standard that we were held at. I, uh, have That's a, a very PC an answer. <laughs> well, you, we are held to a very high standard. I'm you, sure. know, you have to have your, you know, it used to be a lot more hardcore. They actually, so Disney does this thing where each cast, cast members and employees, that's the same thing, you know, just vocabulary wise, they have their whole vocabulary system. So as a cast member, we have to, you know, prioritize safety and customer service and um, just being efficient with our time and everything and keeping sh like show ready is what we call it. So just having everything, you know, everything that doesn't need to be seen by the guest stays behind the scenes and backstage behind closed doors um, just to keep the show because it's like an experience. It's like a whole show when you go to Disney. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that that's like the four main things that you have to do, but they introduced this new thing called, uh, like included inclusion, including everybody. So you can have color on your nails. You can wear more makeup. You can have whatever hairstyle you want. Um, it even went as far as, um, for the costumes, the uniforms, costumes, same thing, another Disney vocab board. Um, 
people who were, oh, you can wear a male or a female uh, costume. You don't, you're not just defined to one. So it's up to you to get to choose. So it's just uh-huh. more inclusive for everybody to be their fully authentic self, um, which is, that's great for them making that stride. Uh-huh. But yeah, so you got to kind of like guys were allowed to have beards and long hair, you know, again, like acrylic nails were allowed, not in every role, not in every position, but more, it was just more inclusive. So it used to be a lot more strict, but they did lighten up a lot. Uh, but still, I really liked the strictness of it because you're held to such a high standard. You are pushed to make like the most out of everybody's vacation. Like you are the defining factor because if you go somewhere and you deal with like a bad uh, employee, like that could make or break an experience anywhere. Mm-hmm. So especially people are paying all this money to go to Disney. You want to make sure that they're, you know, not spending too much time in line uh, as, as you're like being the cashier, you know, but you also want to personalize customer service to the max experience for everybody. So it's kind of fun. It's like a high, high speed, high paced environment. I, uh, uh, I got to work in each four, like all four of the parks. So Animal Kingdom, Magic Kingdom, Epcot and Hollywood Studios, Disney Springs, and then both of the water parks. So that's pretty much the entire property other than hotels and resorts. So I what got about a really the Star good Wars park. Did you get to work there? Where's that? I, so that's in Hollywood Studios. I got to work in Star Tours, which is like the ride that they had before. Yeah, I yeah, picked up yeah. a shift there um, in the little gift shop that the ride lets out in. And you had to wear like a cute flight attendant costume, like a Star Tours, Star Wars flight attendant costume. It was very fun. It was very, it was actually a lot of fun. You actually, there's, there's a couple of different places where you can make lightsabers but like the cheaper one for like little kids was in this gift shop so i got to kind of do all those kinds of experiences it was that was a lot of fun doing that that little shop was a lot of fun so it sounds to me like you really value hard work and and discipline and having high standards right this is very true has that have you always been that way or is that something you've kind of developed along with your journey? Um, I think I've, so I come from a military family, so I've, you know, that kind of upbringing, I guess, just having like a high standard and that, that aside, my parents, uh, not that they like expect too much out of me, but they do expect, you know, great things from me in like a positive way. They just say that you can do anything that you need to do because you're you and you can do it. So just having that behind you and having, I'm a very headstrong and stubborn person. So when I have my eyes on something, I'm going to do everything that I can in my power to get to that point. And I'm not going to take, I'm, I also feel very guilty if I take shortcuts. So I'm going to do the hard work and just get through it. You know, that's, and I think I can apply that to every little thing that I do in my life. And I'm not saying that I'm not lazy. I do have my lazy dates and I do take shortcuts with some things, but with the things that matter in my life, I very much, my head is in the game 100% of the time. Did you have one or both parents in the military? Just my father. He's okay. retired now. Yeah. What branch was he in? He was uh, in the air force. He's actually a combat. He was a combat controller. So CCT, um, 
Yeah, which I really enjoyed. I know a lot of people aren't really cut out for the military brat life, but I have that kind of gypsy spirit where I cannot stay in one place for a long time. Um, And that really fostered that. So I got to really see a lot of the world, meet a whole lot of people and like adopt a whole lot of different cultures. So it is when people ask me where I'm from, I really have no answer because I feel like I'm from this planet. That's all I can say. (laughs) Where are the places that you've lived around the world? So I was born in England, Mildenhall, Cambridge, England. And then we lived in the Seattle area. So Seattle, Washington, we lived in the panhandle of Florida. Then we moved to Las Vegas. Then we moved to Dubai, UAE. So over there, yeah, that was an alternate dimension. That's what, that's the best way I can put it. It was so crazy. And then we moved back to the panhandle of Florida. Very nice. That's cool. Yeah. My dad was in the Navy. So cool. You get it. Yeah. It wasn't quite as like varied as you, but basically when I was like a little kid, my dad was a recruiter in the Navy. We lived in South Florida. And then for his last four years, we moved up to Maine. Um, and I was probably like 10 or 11 whenever we did that. I was in the sixth grade. We also moved out to Washington state for a little while because he had to do some training before we moved to Maine. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I totally kind of get what you mean as far as just moving, like moving around. Cause we were, yeah. we were always kind of moving like every year or a couple of years, it seemed like we were going to a, a new place. Yeah. You definitely develop a lot of different kind of people skills. I think that's so I have like a, I say, I think I said that I have a minor in hospitality and tourism. And I uh-huh. think that's perfect for me because I have had to kind of have this charm to where I can make friends quick because when you up and go somewhere and you're not going to be there that long and you want to make the most out of it, you don't want to be like without any friends. Like you want to have a good time. You kind of have to make those connections and quickly, um, you know, but with an authentic kind of flair, like you have to be very sure of yourself at a young age. And at least that's how I felt. Like I had, I felt like I needed to be 100% myself because I just wanted to make the right friends really fast, you know, so I could actually settle in because it's always weird kind of moving to a new place and you always get nervous on the first day of school or like seeing these people as the new kid. It's never as bad as anybody as it like feels on the inside, you know, cause there's always good people that'll be around, especially at school, you know, not everybody's a bully no. <laughs> as hard as that is to believe, you know, usually people will kind of take you in a little bit, but yeah, I think it, I wouldn't have had it, had it any other way. I have different like cousins and things that have lived in one place their entire life. And I did get jealous of that at times when I was younger because they, had their friends and grew up with them and it was all a just big deal and they're all so close and I have just a bunch of mixed mixed matched friends all over the world right now so but I I mean I've gotten to see so much and experience so much I wouldn't trade it for anything what was it like living in Dubai so I have a little brother. He's six years younger than me. He just turned 18. Uh, but when we were in Dubai, he was in uh, early elementary school and I was in about seventh grade. But we went to a British curriculum English school. Um, 
which was like K through 12th and a little bit of college. So it was, everybody was there. Interesting. It was a it wasn't a small school, but it was big enough. Uh, but me and my brother were like the only two Americans that were at this school. So it was so strange meeting all these people and the, just from all over the world. And you, you kind of get an idea of what people think about Americans from these people. You kind of see these stereotypes from a completely removed point of view because the everybody American stereotype. Yeah. Or just like any other stereotype because okay. everybody there is from somewhere else from somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. So just kind of, you kind of feel like you have to represent your entire country, you know, to all these middle schoolers, you know, that, so it was kind of cool because you were the only one of your kind. And that was very similar to everybody in my class. My best friend was Turkish. I had a Finnish friend, a Norwegian friend, you know, as the Spanish friend, it, I mean, for everywhere. It was cra- It was just a mixed match. It's a small world situation, you know? So were you working on music at this school? Were you playing flute by then? I was, yes, I was playing flute. At this point, I was playing flute for a year and a half. Um, and I was the only, there was not an organized band at this school. I came, I moved from Las Vegas where there was an organized band. That's where I got put in band. But um, when we moved there, it was just a music class. So I brought my flute to music class because I thought that's what you do. And everybody just kind of sat down at keyboards. Um, But I was the only one that was like musically trained at the time. Later on, a Korean girl named Woojong came in and she played piano so good. So the music teacher would pair us together to do little duets and stuff like that. And they had the school musical. It was Wizard of Oz. And I was the... Another flute player had come in, but they were very, very much beginner. So I got like the first part and I was first chair and I had my first solo. I had the solo in the musical and it was during Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And the girl who played, I think about this, it slips my mind sometimes, but whenever I think of it, I think it's so funny. The girl who played Dorothy on our like opening day of this musical came up to me and was like, do not mess up my solo do not mess up my solo because it was during over the rainbow and she's somewhere over the rainbow. Yeah. And she, she's Dorothy. And I said, you don't mess up my solo. Cause I had like two little measures of like a little arpeggio that I did. And I, I just a little kinda, run. Yeah. Just a little tiny run. And I was like, you don't mess up my solo. I put her in her place. She, she wasn't going to come for me. I'm, I'm, it was my day too. You know, it was kind of a you big know, deal for everybody. Theater kids are so dramatic. They are. And that's okay. They have to be. They have Thespians. to be. It's, the, it's, their, it's their thing. Yeah. Um, so did you start up playing classical music? I'm guessing because you're a flute player. That's primarily what you, you started out on, right? Yeah. So I actually started learning piano in, I think it was like kindergarten or something like that. Uh, but we moved and I didn't go back into lessons until about third or fourth grade. And I picked back up and yeah, it was very just like beginner classically based, of course. Um, and then like in middle school, I actually wanted to play the violin or cello. I wanted to get put in orchestra class, but the way they gave out schedules, the class was full. So I just got put in band. So it was really just 
dumb luck that I got put in band, which everything happens for an absolute reason because I'm here today and I feel like I was meant to play the flute. Um, but it's just, it's very classical, classically based. You know, sometimes you'll get like a little tango piece that you play in the band or like a jazz based piece, but it's very uh, vanilla when it comes to those kind of yeah, different stuff it, until you go the, on. Read the notes on the page. Yes. Just yeah. until you get... I mean, really, it was, I guess when I was in high school, I played, like I went to little honor bands or I went to FSU band camp where you would actually get some more knowledge behind the music and be able to kind of fit the different settings of the different cultures of music. Um, But it wasn't really until college that I kind of started playing anything other I was very much pushed out of my comfort zone and playing something other than like classical classical music and classical is such like a broad term yeah like romantic era you know uh baroque period kind of that just like the quote-unquote classical stuff well, cl- is classical played. it's it's kind of the same way with like latin music when people say right. latin music there's also there's uh like there's samba there's um, Afro-Cuban funk, you know, yeah, there's, exactly. there's various forms of different kinds of Mexican music as well. Exactly. So I actually learned this recently. Um, so salsa is, uh, like a catch-all term that was, uh, created by record labels. They really? wanted, they wanted to use a Spanish word that people knew. Oh my gosh. <laughs> there's so many different styles and genres of quote unquote salsa music, like we were just talking about, mm-hmm. but it, they used salsa as just this term that was like basically so white people knew what it was. Right. Well, good thing they didn't do like nacho or anything. I feel like I that would yeah. stink so bad. Oh my gosh. But that's so interesting. I would have never really thought that. But yeah, I mean, it makes sense, you know? But yeah, I love that kind of music. That kind of music is so much fun to get into. I, my professor in college was Brazilian. So we played things like Tico Tico. So it had that swing, but it it was like, it wasn't like a jazz swing. It's like a whole different flavor and it really puts you, it snaps you into it. As soon as the first count begins, you're just in this different thing and you got to move your body with it. You know, like it just pulls that out. You know, well, like jazz music doesn't typically have, I wouldn't say like a groove. There's a feel, but all Latin music in its various forms has a groove. Yeah, it does. And that it's, it's to actually like use the word groove. It really like, it almost feels like you're getting into like an actual groove, like on tile, like it like you are just in this zone Mm -hmm. and you're just locked in, you know? I mean, I'm sure that if you're really sometimes when you're sight reading and it's just like fence posts, fence posts going by, you're not in that groove at all. But once you really know what you're doing with the music that you're given, you're just set in there, you know? Yeah, for sure. So you must be a really good sight reader then. Um, (laughs) I used to not be because, uh, I didn't know my scales 100%. I was very lazy when it came to scales, but as soon, and this is exactly what my professor told me. He said, as soon as you know your scales, everything will be easier. And sure enough, as soon as I really nailed down my scales, sight reading was really, really a breeze. 
Yeah. I, I didn't know how to sight read until I got to, um, I got to Nashville and I mean, you, at least as a bass player, I never have once had a piece of music put in front of me. And most of the time when you get a gig, it's like, you're making your own charts anyways. So it's like, I have to be the only person who can read it. Um, so I don't even write you like here. It's the Nashville number system. I don't know if you've heard about it before. No, I don't think But basically. So major scale, um, it's just like, so C major for instance. So C is the one D is the two E is the three. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's the same, uh, because all these session players back in the day when they were, they were playing on records, if they had to change keys, they didn't want to have to write it out again. Uh, so that they is would so just, smart. Yeah, they would just go, be like, "Okay, go to the one, go to the yeah. six. So that's yeah, like why one four Nashville, five one easy, you know? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So that's that's why that exists. But yeah, I mean, even then, there's no one who's given me like a number chart in Nashville. If anything, I've had to go to the band leader and be like, "Hey, I made myself a chart. Does this look right to you?" And they're like, "Yeah," except for that part right there. So, and then it's yeah. just small things like that. Yeah. Um, just a little nitpicky kind of exactly. But, but even then it's like most of the people that I play for have been songwriters. So like with songwriters and people who are singers, they don't, they don't even care. You know what I mean? They don't, yeah. give, a, they don't give a shit about charts. So like with the chart, I don't need a chart. Um, <laughs> I, I don't have a comment on that. I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to discount them as musicians, but I totally, as an instrumentalist, I know exactly where you're coming from. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's funny. It, it, it's funny too, because I've had to learn to balance. Cause there've been artists that I've played for who have been great, like strong instrumentalist. Mm-hmm. Um, and they will like, what was that third note you played? You know what I mean? Just stuff yeah. like that where it's like, yeah, I, I kind of loved a note there, but, um, but yeah, but most of the time it's just like, I'm sticking to the root note and it's, it's rare. I played for this one band, the weird sisters. And that was, that was a chops gig. Like that was a chops gig. You had to be able to play. Yeah. You know? Okay. Um, yeah. But most of the time it's just like, you're just playing, playing songs to support the vocals. Right. Yeah, you're just kind of background, just kind of keeping rhythm. Yeah. You're you're a part of as a bass player, you you're a part of the rhythm section. So you're just yeah. kind of underneath. You're not like a big big deal, but you're. I love the bass with everything inside of me. It's one of my it's one of my favorite things on stage because without it, it's absolutely missing a huge chunk, you know. But with it there, a lot of people do look over it. But it, it's so much fun listening to music or like classic rock and then just taking a moment to just focus in on the bass just like put your headphones in focus in on the bass and you're just noticing so many different little little things that you're just like I never really it doesn't pop out but it's just the bass player having a good time you know yeah I mean if you go back and you listen to like all the Zeppelin records or the who I remember um like one of the first albums that kind of blew my hair back as far as bass playing goes for rock um is the who live at leeds do you know that album i'll have to i'm sure that if i listen to i've probably heard a song or two but it's, i need to listen to the full yeah so it's a live album i think it, it came out in like 71 or 72 maybe somewhere in that time period but yeah. um like john it whistles playing on that is just so nasty and I, I got the vinyl of it um back in the day and it in 
it's like panned the way it's mixed is hard right and hard hard left so if you have a turntable you can like drop and just go to the bass oh or you could drop and just go to the the guitar so i could like play along with it and try and replicate what i was hearing and then turn it down and play along with it oh wow um so i was like that's neat i like that they did that Yeah. yeah huh i love when they do stuff like that. Like it's in one ear or the other, you know, I create so much more of an experience when you're listening to it. Yeah. Well, that's, that's like the way that all the old, uh, like early Beatles stuff is, is Mm -hmm. mixed. It's like those, those hard, um, the hard pan, right, hard pan left. Same thing. I was listening recently to, um, to the Ramones first album and and their first albums like that too, where it's like guitars, hard pan, right. Guitars, like hard, our bass is hard pan left or whatever. Yeah. It is. Um, yeah. but I think it's really cool. I'm a big fan of, of uh, of mixes like that. They're very, yeah. um, they're considered like artistic today, but like, yeah, like that's just how it was back in the day. There was so many more people who, who could put an artistic touch on something and it just wasn't a product, you know? What yeah, I mean? it's true. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting to think about how, music is made to like how music is made today. It's a lot more easier to make, you know, you could just do it. And like, I just do my stuff in my bedroom right now. You know, I don't really have to go anywhere. There's not really a whole lot of places for me to go where I'm at right now. But, um, you know, considering the way that it had to be, you had to go to these places, you had to be ready. You couldn't like mess around really, unless you had the money to do that, you know? Yeah. It's expensive to record at a studio. Yeah. Even today. Yeah, really. Yeah unless you have like some sort of connection or something. Yeah. So I'm very thankful though. I'm very, very thankful for the technology that we have now. It makes it a lot more, I guess it's a kind of a double-edged sword because it makes it a lot more accessible, but it also, it makes it a lot more accessible to other people that everybody can do it. Everybody can do it, you know? And then it kind of is just not a, as big of a deal anymore, you know? But yeah, I I don't know. I think it's a cool, I think it's a big deal because you're really, when you listen to these songs by small artists and everything, you're just kind of getting a glimpse into what's going on in their world and what's going on in their head. And like, they just came up with this product and you can listen to it. I just think that's so, I'm, I'm sounding very hippy dippy right now, but I think that's just so neat. You've come to the right podcast then because (laughs) this podcast can get a little hippy dippy sometimes. I'm down. I dig it. It's all right. Um, so yeah. So like, uh, for your recording and, and writing and everything that the song that you have that you released, it's called pipe dream. Yes, this is true. Pipe dream. Um, so what was the process like of writing that song? So I last year for my birthday, I got a MIDI keyboard and I got one of the little adapter things to plug it into my iPad this is all while I was at Disney. So in my little dorm thing, I would just sit on my bed and just play around with some fun chords on GarageBand, just like messing with the keyboard settings and everything. And I just come up, I, you know, I really liked this little arrangement of chords. So I just kind of recorded a loop of it. And, um, then I got my USB mic and some headphones and just kind of messed around on it. And I found the melody for it. And I was like, that could be something that could be something. I very much overanalyze music when I am approaching writing it. And I've learned to kind of 
turn down the brain power because I'm constantly in fear that I'm just going to regurgitate something that I've heard before, you know? So I came up with this melody. I was like, it kind of sounds like familiar for some reason, but it's, I don't know, like it resonated a lot with me, but it was just like in a random MP3 file on my iPad, uh, garage band. So I, I moved back home. I was bored and I decided to kind of expand on that, this one piece and laid down a little bit of like dreamy guitar in the background, put some different keys on it, recorded some harmonies to kind of beef up the flute, um, some like fun, mystical little trills in the back. And, you know, it was like the bare bones of what the song is. So, um, cause the song in my mind was very much like a journey arriving to it. It's a, meditational. Yes. I don't know if that's a word, but meditational. I, it is. I it, will consider it a word right now because that's a, I didn't even think of that, but it very much is kind of like that. Like you're starting at point A and you're arriving at point B. Um, in two minutes and seven seconds or how long, however long it is. But, um, the coolest thing I feel about that song is I have been very much experimenting with using guitar pedals with my flute. That's badass. <laughs> um, and it's been a very big trial and error and we are still figuring it out, but I have a little collection of my little, I don't currently what do you have, have a pedal. So I have the Avalanche Run by, I think, is it Electro Harmonics or uh, yeah. Earthquake Electro Devices? Electro Harmonics is, is, a, is a brand. What kind of pedal is it? Like, what it's a, it like a reverb delay pedal. It's okay, by Electro cool. Harmonics. It's not by, uh, or it's a, Earthquaker Devices. Earthquaker Devices is okay. who does Avalanche Run. Um, and they also do like the, the rainbow machine and everything. What is, is the rainbow machine? Uh, oh gosh. It's like the most unruly pedal that is, it has a time and place and it's not be, you cannot use it for everything at all. It's just so, it just, uh, think about a uh, magical mystery tour, but almost nightmarish and out of control. So like it's like that a, vibe. an acid nightmare. Sort of. I mean, yeah. you can make it kind of fun and a very dreamy, but in like an exciting kind of way. Um, I have not purchased that pedal. I've used it. I've played it before and I am immediately like, I can't, I don't have the funds to fund that funky idea right now. Yeah. Uh, but I have uh, the Pitchfork by Electro Harmonics, uh, which is uh, harmony and octave it's like oh, for different nice, octaves cool. and everything, which that's really fun to kind of mess around with because you can like turn it to like ma a major seventh. So I'm playing flute, but I'm also, there's like a major seventh on top. So you're as able well. to make like chords. Almost. Yeah, sort of, sort of. Yeah. You kind of have to mess around a good bit because it just stays in that major, you know, it doesn't really oh, stay in yeah. like a key, which I'm trying to find pedals that are more like, Har like the har harmonist harmonist by uh boss e you know just like uh -huh. the boss pedals um and then i have a, the back the talk back the back talk talk back whatever it's called uh -huh. by dan electro which that is crazy that sounds like the end of a beatles track um 
So you which, can make it like backwards and make yes. it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That one's so much fun. Uh, yeah. And then I have the, I have like a, just a phaser pedal and everything. I also have the Vox Valvatronics little mini amp, the 20. Oh uh, yeah. 20 it, the, volt. Little, the little red one. No, I have a little Fender red one though, but okay. it's got a bunch of presets in it. So okay. you can kind of mess around with those too. So I can kind of narrow down what I, what pedals I need and everything. Uh, but the, what to round back around to, to what I was talking about, um, the song pipe dream needed some sort of percussive element, I feel like. Um, so I just recorded myself like I had the song playing in my headphones and I just recorded myself improving on top, but I turned the echo, like the delay echo to infinite. So it never stopped. And it created this almost jungle forest, like swamp sound. Yeah. Sound like you're outside and you're hearing these like cicadas, but like pretty ones. And like, you're hearing the stars. Like it just, it sounds, it sounded so cool. I recorded like a minute and a half of it. And then I just looped it underneath the song. So that like dreamy floaty cloud that's underneath the song is my improv stacked on top of each other being echoed for an infinite amount of time. That's cool as fuck. Yeah. Through the avalanche run. By Earthquaker Devices. I love that is my all-time favorite pedal. Hands down. Hands down. It's amazing. Are you planning on releasing more material soon? I am. I'm currently working on an EP. I would like to get it out by the end of this year. I have purchased a micro Mellotron, which has absolutely saved my life. I love the Mellotron so much. So I've been I feel like you could just make so many little creative sounds and you don't really have to put a whole lot behind. Like, I feel like with some kind of a little bit of music, you have to supplement it with other things to kind of make it stand alone. But I feel like the Mellotron, you can really just mess around with that and uh, make it kind of just stands on it on its own. Doesn't really need some support, but I've been working with that. I have an Omni chord as well that I've been working on. So it's going to be a very, you can expect a lot more dreamy sounds uh, coming that way, but I would like the EP to be more of like an experience, like a listening experience rather than a bunch of chunks of different songs. So the ideas are rolling. We have about, I don't, I want to say like 12 to 15 ideas going that I'm trying to kind of mush together and kind of narrow some things down, but they're floating around. <laughs> they're floating around. Hopefully that we can, we can kind of solidify it soon, but yeah. Are you working on it by yourself? Or are you collaborating with anyone? Um, all by myself, just like pipe dream. It's going to be all just me just doing my thing. Hell I'm very yeah. particular. I'm particular. I, when I have this vision, I, and I'm, I love collaborating with other artists. That's one thing that I miss about school, like music school so much is getting to have that real life, um, nonverbal communication, like this, uh, chemistry between like 
if I'm playing with like a pianist, like me and the pianist, like us having to work together or with an orchestra or like a symphony or band, uh, getting to kind of, you have to have this energy and all be in tune with it. Um, and I have actually collaborated with a local band here, like a local rock band. I made like this, I, they have like a recording studio and everything. And they had me come in one day and lay down a little flute intro for them which I think that'll be coming out later this year. It'll have me tagged in it. So I'll have it on my social media and my Spotify and everything like that. But uh, for my particular kind of vision with this EP, I just kind of, I'd like it to be, I'm using it more. I don't expect it to blow up or be super successful. I'm kind of, I want to just have a discography just for like uh, CV purposes, you know, just to be like, Yes, I'm incredible. I have this out. You can listen to it just to kind of put my sound out there for people. You know, Fuck yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Experimental, experimental music is what we're, we're kind of going for right now. So where can people find you at? So I am, my main platform that I'm on is on TikTok. I, Which is how I found you. I yes. saw you doing a TikTok live. I requested yes. that you did Fernando and you did it. Oh yeah. I, oh yeah. I totally remember that. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Fernando. Yeah. So it's a lot of fun. I, a lot of times I'm not doing too much original stuff on TikTok. I do a lot of covers. I play everything by ear. So I can kind of, I just listen to it and it could, it just comes out. Do not ask me how, because I do not know. You're just riffing to like anything that people are calling out in the chat. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just, I can, cause I, I wouldn't say that I have perfect pitch because I don't, I, th- I think I've been told it's relative perfect pitch. So you've kind of can, I really just don't even know how it works. My brain just, my noggin just does it and it just comes out. I'm, you have uh, a good my, ear. Yes. I'm, I'm clocked out like me clocked out, but the music is just flowing, but yeah. So it's all like by ear with, some added improvisation on it, uh, which is so much fun. I love doing lives and getting to like meet all these different people. I've made so many friends through it as well. Um, but yeah, so TikTok is my main platform. What's your uh, name on TikTok? How can people find you on there? Um, Aaron Claire Flute. So at Aaron Claire Flute, and Claire does not have an I, so it's just E R I N C L A R E Flute. And same with Instagram. I am not as, I I currently am as active on Instagram as I am on TikTok because I've cleaned up my act and I picked up my, picked up the slack a little bit, but also Instagram at Aaron Claire Flute. Um, I have a website, so AaronClaireFlute.com and then Spotify is just Aaron-Claire, just Aaron Claire and I have a song called Pipe Dream if you'd like to listen to it. But yeah, Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, all the music streaming platforms is where you can find me. And here is Pipe Dream by Aaron Clare. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. <laughs> 